0: This is Hear Me Out, I'm your host, Celeste Headley. If you're an American who eats food, you probably know it is really, 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 really hard to avoid sugar in this country. It is ubiquitous, it's addictive, and for the government, it is very lucrative. Every few years, the Farm Bill is up for renewal in our legislature. This is one of those years. And so it's time to talk about sugar. The US has a complicated system of incentives that altogether make American sugar artificially expensive. That benefits domestic sugar producers, of course. So the question is do we need to be doing this? Is it actually better for the average consumer?
1: There are other countries that actually have no sugar program in place. They don't engage in these kind of shenanigans, and their sugar supply seems to be just fine. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com.
0: Welcome back to Hear Me Out. I'm Celeste Headley. So for a short time here, I have another podcast available too. It is a limited series called Big Sugar from iHeart Podcasts and Imagine Media. It's a deep dive into the secretive, multi-billion-dollar sugar industry, and it exposes the exploitation and lies that are inside every sweet spoonful that we add to our coffee. You can find Big Sugar wherever you listen, and I obviously encourage you to do that. But we thought this would actually be a good opportunity to introduce you to an unpopular idea in this country, that consuming sugar isn't just bad for your health. It's also bad for the economy and for our government, that in short, sugar is, well, kind of bad. The American government has subsidized and supported the sugar industry since we became a republic. But the way we do it now looks to a lot of people like government overreach. And at worst, some people think it looks a lot like we're propping up a cartel. Colin Grabo is a research fellow at the Cato Institute, and he focuses on trade protectionism issues like... The sugar program. So, Colin, welcome.
1: Well, thanks for having me on the show, Celeste.
0: So, I, I got to start first with your, your. I guess we would call it an unpopular opinion, and and let me begin with the headline to this piece that you published in 2018. It was called "Candy Coated Cartel: Time to Kill the U.S. Sugar Program." That word, cartel. Why are you using it to describe the sugar program?
1: Well, I think it's a very accurate term. A cartel is a small group of businesses that act in concert to restrict competition and keep prices high. And that's exactly what the U.S. Sugar Program is. It is a government program designed to restrict competition and keep sugar uh, prices high to the detriment of American consumers.
0: Okay, so I I think that what might surprise people here is that in a capitalist system such as ours... Um, businesses are not supposed to be working in concert to keep prices high. They're supposed to be competing with one another. Why do you say that the, these these sugar industries, these, these businesses, are working together?
1: Well, basically, they have the U.S. government functioning. You know, the problem with cartels is coordinating, make sure no one's cheating and everyone's on the same page. Well, the U.S. government serves that role for them. Uh, by, by ensuring that no one you know, produces too much sugar so you can keep the, the prices high. People overproduce and the, the price goes down. And the government helps keep uh, foreign sugar from coming into the country. So all this is designed to ensure uh, to restrict supplies and keep prices high to the benefit of uh, sugar producers in this country.
0: Okay, so... I mean, what bothers you about this particular industry? I mean, there are certainly plenty of problems with a lack of competition in the United States. What makes sugar so egregious to you?
1: Um, I just think on the face of it, it's it's just when it comes to free traders like myself and we complain about things, this really stands out um, for the role that not only – is the government, you know, failing to promote competition? It's just actively restricting it. I mean, that is the entire point of this program: is to keep uh, uh, to reduce competition, keep prices elevated, and you know, we American consumers pay the price. We all use sugar. Uh, any you know, sugar goes into solely of the products we consume, as I'm sure you'll explore in your program. And this is basically a, a program that tries to keep consumers poor. So a select, you know, group of uh, uh, producers can be richer. And I just find that, frankly, obscene.
0: Okay, but you, you, you wouldn't argue that this started out from a, a good place, would you? I mean, the, the purpose in the beginning was to help U.S. farmers, right?
1: It helps them at the expense of the rest of us. Uh, so I think when it comes to, you know, policy, we should promote competition, Um, I also, you know, starting from a a first principle standpoint, I believe in freedom. And I think if I want to buy sugar from someone in Australia or Brazil or India, well, that's my business and that's something I should be allowed to do and I shouldn't be punished for it by the U.S. government. Frankly, it's none of their business.
0: So you're saying that I can't, um, if I am a candy maker, let's say I decide to make Celeste Headley taffy, I can't buy sugar from somebody in Australia?
1: You can, but you have to pay an extremely high price. The way this works is the government lets uh, a certain amount of sugar come into the country in a low tariff, about half a penny per pound. But then after that amount is reached, and it's always reached, any sugar import after that has to pay about, I think, something like 15 cents per pound. Uh, You know, for perspective, uh, sugar in the international market typically goes for, you know, maybe 25 cents a pound. So it's a severe tariff and no one on the right mind would pay that so it effectively places it off limits
0: okay i mean i guess what i'm trying to understand is if, if this is as bad as you say how how would it continue to run i mean the it's part of the farm bill people vote for it it has to be reauthorized every 5 years clearly you know the the congress people who vote for it every year aren't you know, somehow not seeing it in the, the farm bill every year, there must be a reason why it's in there. And that reason must be because it provides jobs, because it is an important part of our economy. No?
1: No, I would take issue with that. Um, what what this does is you know, obviously I've talked about the consumer angle and how we all pay more. But also, I think you even mentioned earlier, uh, people that produce candy, people that produce baked goods, all kinds of industries use sugar as an input. So if they have to pay higher costs, that means reduced sales, that means lost jobs. So we're killing jobs elsewhere in the economy, uh, at the expense of of these sugar jobs. You know, as for why this persists, um, you know, in the face of I think overwhelming evidence that it's bad policy, um, you have to keep in mind that the Farm Bill does lots of things. This the Farm Bill does not just cover the sugar program. So Uh, If the sugar program, I think, had to stand alone and just came up for a bill by itself for a straight up or down vote, I think it would, I think there's a good chance it would go down. Um, But it's tied in with so many other things. There's a lot of log rolling and, uh, you know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Uh, You know, I leave the sugar program alone and you leave my favorite uh, pet project alone. Um, You know, a few years ago, John Bain, the former um, uh, Speaker of the House, wrote uh, his memoir. And he had uh, an anecdote about the sugar program. And he said that he always thought it was ridiculous, but he never spent much time opposing it because he just thought the prospects for victory were so slim. But one day he was walking back to his office and he spotted a sugar lobbyist hanging around. And he just said out loud, he said, uh, you know, something to the effect of uh, the sugar program is so ridiculous uh, we absolutely should get rid of it. Well, he said, of course, the next thing that happened is that the sugar lobbyist, of course, overheard it. He starts making phone calls and he said, Boehner, my phone did not stop ringing for the next five weeks. I had no idea how many people in my district were connected to the sugar industry. People were calling all day telling me how they made this or that related to the sugar production process and how many jobs were on the line. And he said, that's why, you know, this quote was, that's why you don't F with big sugar. Um, I think this has a lot of explanatory power. Your average American, they pay more for sugar. How much more? You know, it's I think some estimates show ten or eleven dollars. So you know, for a family of four, we're talking you know forty, fifty dollars a year. Um, that's not the kind of thing that you're going to march on Congress with you know pitchforks and torches. Um, but of course, the people that profit from this collect you know ten dollars per. 330 million Americans, that's a decent chunk of change. And they're very invested in keeping this in place. So we have a, a dynamic where the people that profit from this, that make that extra money, oh, they they're, you know, they're very invested in in making sure the program stays and they donate accordingly and they employ lobbyists accordingly, whereas your average American, they they're not even aware that this is going on. And so I think our politics and the policy that we see reflects those dynamics.
0: Okay, we're going to take a break. I have have a lot of questions, um, not surprisingly, but we're going to take a break. We're talking about whether or not the sugar industry, all of the various sugar companies are a sugar cartel. And we're talking about it with somebody who is uh, from the the conservative Cato Institute. And so I would expect to be in support of big business, Colin Graybo. Um, This is Hear Me Out, a podcast from Slate. I'm Celeste Headley. We'll be back in just a moment. And we're back. This is Hear Me Out. I'm Celeste Headley, and we're talking about the U.S. sugar program. It's part of the Farm Bill, a massive bill that comes up for reauthorization every five years, and it is up for reauthorization this year. And Colin Grabo, who is with the O Institute, says it's time to kill the part of the Farm Bill that relates to U.S. sugar. And the reason for this Colin says is because the u s sugar program is basically a, a cartel. Um, and we talked a little bit before the the break Colin about the fact that it's that the sugar producers in this country are basically joined together to keep our prices high.
1: That's right. That's right. Uh, yes, uh,
0: yeah. and and uh, you said that it's keeping it high in the grocery stores. But we're also, as taxpayers, subsidizing it, are, are we not? Like that's what the farm bill is all about.
1: The farm bill gives out, yeah, subsidizes lots of crops, and I think the the sugar uh, program is basically, uh, you know, it's an indirect subsidy. It 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 ensures that prices for sugar have a certain floor. They you know, it it gives them a certain minimum price. They know that they'll get uh, that they you know, the price won't fall below. So they have a certainty that the the very Bare minimum, they're going to get you know a certain price for their uh, for the sugar they produce.
0: Uh, but the, you know, one of the big arguments every single time this comes around is that the purpose of those su- subsidies is price stabilization. Do you not buy the idea? Um, you know, one of the the things that you even quote in your report um, uh, from 2018 was a, a, a letter saying that. We have to avoid the wild price swings of the so-called free market.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, sugar producers—they—they they like having the steady, predict- uh, predictable uh, uh, prices for their sugar, uh, and and of course they do. Uh, th- that's nice to have. But why should I? You know, why should the rest of us pay the price so that they can have that predictability? Um, if they don't like the business, if they don't like the volatility, then get out and find a new line of work. Uh, this is not unique to them. Lots of uh, companies, lots of industries in this country have to do with volatile prices, you know, trying being in the energy industry, for example. But you know these contribute to more efficient markets and lower prices. And ultimately I think that's what matters at the end of the day. You know, I don't think we should set our policies for the convenience of the country's businesses. It should be the benefit of our consumers and uh, people shouldn't be able you know, to compete. It's all about competition. And if you're not up for it, uh, then, you know, I'm sorry. I think you should find, again, a new line of work.
0: But, you know, there were rationalizations for this program when it first began. And one of them was that we didn't want to have to rely on um, sugar coming from outside our borders, right, that we wanted to always have a source for sugar that was right here within the continental United States, and therefore we, we, we didn't want to drive all of our sugar producers out of the kitchen, just in case we at some point ended up at war. What do you make of that argument?
1: Yeah. So when it comes to something like the sugar program, I think for a lot of, I think for you know neutral observers, most people think it's it's pretty absurd. Uh, it's it's a program whose entire purpose is to artificially inflate the price of sugar. So, in the face of the this, uh, people that support the sugar program have to come up with some, I'd say, pretty inventive uh, reasons, some pretty imaginative justifications to keep this uh, law, this program in place. And one justification we've heard, uh, I know that it's been made by Senator Marco Rubio, among others, is that essentially, well, you know, if we didn't have the sugar program, then we wouldn't produce our own sugar. And then we're beholden to other countries, and those sugar fields, you know, they'd get paved over and turned into, strip malls or condominiums or, you know, what have you. And then we can't feed ourselves, and, you know, essentially we're screwed and we're beholden to other countries. Um, You know, I I take a very skeptical view of such arguments. The idea that we uh, are in danger of, say, Brazil or Australia or India... Cutting off sugar to the United States, saying we don't want your money anymore. Don't give us money. We, you know, we're not interested in exchanging, you know, sugar for money. Um, I, 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 uh, I find that laughable, frankly. Uh, and then we also have to acknowledge that there are other countries that actually, you know, have uh, no sugar program in place, that they don't engage in these kind of shenanigans, and their sugar supply seems to be just fine. Uh, in fact, there are countries that not only they don't have these kinds of programs, they still produce sugar. So this idea that we need these programs and otherwise we won't produce sugar, I think, is absurd. Uh, the United States is an agricultural powerhouse for good reason. We're big. We have a good climate, good soil. Um, the idea that we are would be in danger of uh, not being able to feed ourselves or being beholden to you know shadowy or evil uh, foreign interests. Um, again, I, I find this kind of laughable and just a tribute to the kind of. Leaps of logic one must make to try to justify this program.
0: Do you find it odd that, that this puts you at odds with people like Marco Rubio and other people, other conservatives who are really strongly in support of the U.S. sugar program and feel that it's a really important um, program that supports, like I said, job creators, um, economic drivers for the United States?
1: Oh, well, here at, here at the Cato Institute, we uh, consider ourselves libertarian and we don't take uh, any partisan affiliation. and Oftentimes, we find ourselves aligning with you know, Democrats on one issue, Republicans on another issue. Yeah. And I don't really you know uh, care who my views uh, offend or are, are in line with or not in line with. It's, does this make sense or doesn't it make sense? And I think when it comes <laughs> to the sugar program, it absolutely does not make sense. Our Republicans, if you listen to the rhetoric, and a lot of it's about freedom and competition, um but they don't really walk that line, you know, when it comes to to, to policy, uh, sugar program being one example. Rubio, as someone that, you know, at least in the past, uh, has uh, endorsed, you know, the free market and competition, increasingly less so. Um, you know, he supports the sugar program, and I can't think it's helped tied to the fact that, you know, Florida uh, produces a quarter of the country's sugar, and the sugar interests there, they, they donate accordingly, and they cultivate, uh, you know, politicians and try to Uh, spread their views and uh, have them share their perspective on things. Uh, You find this, you know, dynamic, of course, it's not unique to sugar. And I just think that, uh, you know, I actually believe some of that rhetoric that Republicans at least used to espouse that, you know, competition, the free market makes us more prosperous, makes us better off. And uh, I think that this kind of protectionism hurts consumers, especially the poor who, you know, disproportionately consume, you know, uh, food takes up more of their budget. A percentage of their budget than your average family. And uh, so I think it's 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 bad policy. And I think it's um I think it's also just morally c- kind of wrong when you also factor in those kind of considerations, like who's paying the bill here?
0: So I'm so glad that you brought up food, the food end of this because we've been talking about the economics of this so far, but I, I do want to talk about food. But we do have to take one more quick break. Um, we are talking to Colin Grabo. This is hear me out a podcast from Slate. I'm Celeste Headley, and we'll be back in just one moment. We are back. I am talking with Colin Grabo of the Cato Institute, and we're talking about sugar. Is it bad for our economy, at least when it comes to the US sugar program, those big subsidies that end up going to sugar producers here in the United States? Is it a bad deal? for us, not only in terms of the subsidies that go to sugar producers, but then the price that we pay in grocery stores. But then Colin, I wanna talk about um, not just what we pay if we pick up a bag of sugar uh, in our grocery store, but I-, I wonder what you think about how much sugar ends up in our food itself. Um, even if this isn't part of the the farm bill, I just want to sound out your opinions on the way sugar ends up in so much of our food. Do you consider that to be sort of part of the overall landscape when it comes to sugar? The fact that it it's now in in bread and beef jerky, like it's there's sugar in pretty much everything.
1: So you know, I, I don't take a strong opinion on that. Uh, you know, to me, that's up to you know food producers what they want to make and you know what ingredients they want to use. And consumers, of course, can can uh, buy that or healthy alternatives. Uh, I prefer the, you know the healthier stuff, uh, although I, I do have the occasional sweet tooth. But uh, you know, when it comes to sh- sugar program, of course, it raises the cost of sugar, which is a disincentive to use sugar, but. Let's not think that all of a sudden that means people use healthier ingredients. Take, you know, Coca-Cola, for example, and other soft drinks. They The uh, uh, price of sugar is high, so instead they use, you know, high-fructose corn syrup. And corn, of course, is something we subsidize. So this is, you know, a situation here where we make sugar expensive, so they switch over to subsidized corn. Now, is using high-fructose corn syrup instead of sugar, uh, you know, a win for uh, American diets— uh, I'm no expert on 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 dieting uh, and um you know healthy food habits but i'm skeptical at least of of that idea that this is a net win for americans that we're better off um and i think it's notable that you know in this country that we import you know uh coke from mexico why you know because it has actual sugar in it whereas the coke you know we're the country that invented coke and yet we use you know high fructose corn syrup instead because we subsidize corn and we make sugar you know artificially more expensive so i think ultimately Um, people's, uh, you know, sweet tooth has not gone away. People want sugar and either they're going to pay more for it or, um, you know, food producers are going to find other ways to satisfy that need. They're going to use other ingredients that, you know, uh, still have that same uh, sweetness that consumers are looking for.
0: So do you think the U.S. government should be subsidizing any foods?
1: Absolutely not. No, no. Uh, The corn program, I mean, get, you know, the you know, in my world, there would be no you know farm bill. We wouldn't be you know subsidizing you know the different crops and saying, okay, you get this much, you get that much, and you know we think that this is uh, worth uh, pr- promoting. No, well, let's let, let the market decide, and um, and, and farmers can uh, you know fight it out in the in, in the marketplace.
0: And if farmers don't can't compete in the marketplace, and the United States doesn't have enough farm. Farms and and food producers?
1: Uh, That we import from other countries. And, you know, uh, we want to take our our farms and say, you know, I want to start a manufacturing plant here instead and and sell, uh, you know, we end up selling more computer chips instead of potato chips. Uh, That's that's fine with me. Um, uh, Again, you know, look at uh, countries like, you know, Iceland. Iceland is no agricultural powerhouse. No one there is in danger of starvation because, you know, they produce other things and they import the things that they need. And you can find, you know, of course, examples uh, of that all across the globe.
0: On the other hand, the population of Iceland is less than 400,000 people. And the population of the United States is
1: yes, far more than that. Well, fortunately, we also have a much bigger country than, than Iceland and much more arable land. And I don't think that's going away anytime soon. So I, I, I'm pretty confident we'll be okay.
0: So you don't you don't think at all There's there's a public good in ensuring... That the United States would be able to support its its population with food, the government ensuring that.
1: Yeah, I think the the best way the government uh, can ensure uh, that we have sufficient food supplies and they're affordable and and adequate is to get out of the market. Because as we see with the sugar program, when they start you know meddling with things, well, you know I'd like the outcomes are pro consumer. Uh, and remember it takes, uh, to, to hand out these subsidies, well, that money has to come from somewhere. So we're taking money out of people's pockets and then handing it back to the consumers. Then we say, well, it's okay. Consumers, that just means your food's cheaper. Well, frankly, I'd rather have the extra money in my pocket. And, uh, I I think that I'll, I'll be able to afford food just fine.
0: And frankly, the food, when it comes to sugar, at least the food is not cheaper. Sugar here is much more expensive than it is in the rest of the world. That's for sure.
1: No argument for me.
0: Okay, so uh, to be totally clear, you don't support programs that, I guess, support farmers.
1: Uh, yeah, to be totally clear, I, you know, I don't support punishing uh, you know, taxpayers to, to fork over money to our country's farmers. Uh, a lot of these are huge agro-businesses. Uh, they're for-profit corporations, and you know, I don't get to share in their profits. I don't see why I should have to subsidize in, uh, their, their production. So, yeah, just very fundamentally, I think that, uh, you know, I believe in the marketplace and uh, I think they're entitled to those profits. But I think they're also uh, they they don't need a helping hand from me either.
0: So I want to read you, um, as I mentioned earlier on, I hosted an investigative journalism um, podcast called Big Sugar. And we got a response from the lobbying, the trade organization that represents the sugar industry they said, this industry is 100% farmer and employee and family owned. It employs 100% union skilled labor. All the sugar industry pays fair wages and offers good benefits to their workers. This podcast maligns 11,000 sugar beet and sugarcane family farmers who support 151,000 jobs across more than two dozen states. I feel like that response would also refer to you they we provide high quality sugar to americans consumers every day um what what would be your response to this they're basically saying you know this uh, the money we're getting from the american public is going to a good cause
1: well uh going to a good cause that portrays them as some kind of charity well you know they're a business uh they're out to make money which is what they do um and i just think that uh, they you know they should compete uh, it, it is a business, it's not a charity. And if they are abs- out there producing, you know, great quality sugar at a good price, people will continue to buy it. And when they, when they, you know, uh, go to go- the government and say, no, we, we need help. They basically say, we're not good enough. We're, we're inferior to, to the competition out there. Well, why should I support that? I'll also point out that, you know, if we did have a sugar program, I'm sure we would buy more foreign sugar. How much more? I don't know. Um, but it would come from places like, you know, India and Brazil, these are developing countries. Uh, they could use jobs there too. And, um, you know, so I, if, if, it, you know, if we want to talk about uh, promoting, helping, you know, people genuinely in need, uh, and, and developing countries, well, let's open up our markets to them and let them sell us their products. So, uh, I, I don't think that these folks are a charity case. And, uh, you know, if they want to collect donations from people, people, you know, feel free to donate to them and write checks. They're more than uh, they should absolutely be able to do that. Um, But this is this is a market. And if they have a good product at a good price, people will buy it.
0: I mean, this isn't about subsidies, but I have to ask a question sitting here in in what's basically kind of a a climate change hellscape. um, I mean, I have to ask about the the. The limits of the free market, which is that we do need regulations, for sure. I mean, somebody has to be overseeing them. And, and again, you've only been talking about subsidies. Um, but how much can we rely on the free market it, it, when it comes to some of these producers, um, and when it comes to the best choices when it, in terms of our farming?
1: Yeah, well, you know, one, you know, another critique of, of the sugar producers that I don't think we've gotten into a bit is, is the environmental one. Um, you know, Florida produces something like a quarter of the country's sugar. And a lot of that comes from the greater Everglades region. So we're encouraging yeah. the production of sugar in an environmentally sensitive area. And, of course, that leads to, you know, runoff from the fertilizer that's used. And then when you know sugar cane is harvested, they they burn the fields to eliminate the the leafy uh, outer um, uh, shell or husk of, of the cane sugar uh, to get to it. That produces you know smoke that goes in nearby communities. So if we you know want to get serious about helping our environment, well, one thing we should do is stop subsidizing the people that are polluting it. Uh, that seems to me mm. to be a logical you know starting place. I, mean, I would hope that's something we could all agree on. Uh, no matter what our you know outlook or ideology. Um, so yeah, I th- that that's also worth bearing in mind in, in this conversation, I think.
0: Do you eat a lot of sugar? I mean, I know you said that you try to defer to um, healthy eating, but uh, do you consume a lot? Do you feel like you have a sweet tooth?
1: I You know, I, I try to stay away from it. Um, the best thing is, you know, just don't buy it when you go to the grocery store so it's not there at home to tempt me. Uh, but you know, sometimes the kids, it's a hot day they want to go out for ice cream. So you know, I'm not going to say no to that. Um, and you know, I, I have to confess, you know, next week, um, I'm going to Spain for a month where my wife is from and, uh, there's a lot of chocolate. On offer there, you know the baked goods, and it's it's hard to say that no. May not so may not be <laughs>
0: American sugar in Spain uh, though.
1: That's right. No, it will not be American sugar in Spain. That's right. <laughs> it might be you know, Brazilian or from some other place. Uh, although I think <laughs> Europeans are totally uh, guilt free uh, when it comes to subsidies and protectionism of their agricultural uh, markets.
0: I mean, I will have to say, you know, during the recording of the podcast, I w- I will say that going without sugar is is not easy. It's rarely called sugar, and it. It's in everything. <laughs> yes. It's, it's in everything. Colin Grabo, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it.
1: Well, Celeste, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation.
0: All right. I know that all of you have some thoughts about sugar, uh, especially if you, like me, have ever tried to go without it. Luckily, it's really easy to let us know what you think. You can just email us. It's hearmeout@slate.com. Lots of you have already done that. Last week, we had Kristen Meinzer on the show to make a case for not just caring about Meghan Markle, but defending her. We got so much listener mail about this. So much. But we have time to share just one letter right now. And we want to share one that we got from a listener named Sarah. Sarah wrote this. Thank you so much for the You Need to Care About Meghan Markle episode. You summed up so many of my thoughts. I'm so tired of the she-should-have-known attitude. As a mixed-race person myself, who is also white presenting, I feel like I understand her situation all too well. Just because we were white enough to get a seat at the table doesn't make it any less painful when we aren't white enough to stay for dessert. We do our best to judge our company, but we can't always predict racism. It can rear its head anywhere thank you for setting the record straight oh sarah white enough to stay for dessert i i freaking love that metaphor we cover a lot of challenging opinions here and we are sure that you have your own takes and we love hearing them so please email us it's slate.com. hear me out is a podcast from slate the show is produced by maura curry ben richmond is the senior director of podcast operations and alicia montgomery is VP of Slate Audio. I'm your host, Celeste Headley. Until next time, speak your
1: mind, but keep it open.